0: All right, we got a special guest today, Jim Oxendine. He is uh, he's a he's one of the go-to nations.
1: Uh, what is your what is your title there? My wife and I are uh, directors, international directors of Global Pathway. Okay. Mobilization. So, what is what is your main function? My main function is is uh, uh, equipping the churches in emerging Christian nations. Uh, getting them involved in missions, and that's what Global Pathway is all about, is telling the churches in these emerging Christian nations, some of them have had missionaries for a couple hundred years, in fact, in Africa, uh, where we're at now in East Africa, and we're saying, look, uh, you've had missionaries coming all this time. Why haven't you been sending out missionaries to the nations? And their response to me is uh, the missionaries didn't tell us it was our responsibility. We thought it was the Mm -hmm. white man's responsibility to be a missionary. And I'm going, what part of the Bible have you not read? Uh, Come on. Uh, It doesn't say a white man is responsible or a red man or a person from China. Native American, it says, go you into all the world. It's the greatest responsibility uh, of every believer to carry the Great Commission in their heart and life. Yeah,
0: that's interesting because I was talking to some brothers from Africa, and uh, and, and they uh, they were thinking like the greatest thing that they could ever do is make it to the United States. That's when they made it, you know? And uh, it's kind of crazy that... Uh, like you said, that it's more valuable for th- their own people to invest back into their land. You know, yes, uh, they can do they can do better works than a, the
1: outsider could. Well, uh, let me give you some examples if I can, of this training uh, in in the uh, Tanzania in Arusha is a, a major one of the major cities in Tanzania. Okay, we started in two thousand fourteen. Doing global pathway training it took us from 2012 to 2014 to get the books translated into Swahili and uh, edited and proofed to where we could do a conference and in 2014 we started doing these these conferences and what happened was over the course from 2014 uh, through 2016, uh, God just began to birth something in the leadership of ten different Pentecostal organizations that they needed this training, so they begin to work together. It's amazing. Uh, you go to Africa, and denominations work together, including. Working with Pentecostals wow. to get the gospel message across, and so they—they they, you just look at them, you go, "You're really doing this? Yeah. You, you're really mm-hmm. going to do this?" We can't
0: even get along with their church down the street, right? <laughs> yeah. Right. And
1: yeah. so, uh, so a district superintendent came to me in, in uh, uh, June of 2016, and he said to me, "He said, I have." 200 maasai pastors he said i have been their leader for 10 years and i have done everything i can to get them involved in missions and they their response is we can't do anything we don't have anything you need to help us it was all about them he said i'm willing to purchase the manuals raise the funds and Bring these Maasai pastors together f- for a week. Will we, you come and bring a team? And your pastor and his wife was on that team. Hmm. Pastor Mark. Can pastor Mark and, and Blanche. Yes. Was on that team. We went in July of that year, and he brought in hundred and, and 196 of them showed up. Wow. We began the training. And these for, are all
0: leaders of churches. 196 leaders 196 of churches.
1: 196 Maasai pastors.
0: So for for people that's around the world, what, what is a Maasai
1: pastor? A Maasai, it, it, it's a tribe. Okay, it's one of the major tribes in Africa. Okay, and they're very uh, communal. And so, uh, and some of those uh, tribes, the Maasai, have not been reached with the gospel. So the ones that have, they, you know, they live, they have their cattle, they, they have their goats, and they have their community, and that's all they really was concerned about. So on the third day, with this training, every session we have a breakout session, and you discuss what you have just learned. And uh, then we ask you, us feedback come up and give us a couple of minute feedback uh, one person out of each group that we break them down to and so in doing that then all of a sudden the Holy Spirit just goes bam you could see it I mean they ch- even their demeanor was just changed the report a year later after doing nothing for missions they gave 34 million Shillings to missions seventeen thousand dollars. Wow, wow, wow! Out of the trend. it gets better than that. So one of the pastors that was not on my side, but he is a local pastor that we had used his church for conferences before, and I said to him, uh, Pastor Philip, have we have we done this for your leadership? And he said. I can't. He said we we're in a major building project, and and it, it is stretching me to no ends. I looked at him. I said, if you'll get involved in God's business, you'll get involved in yours. Mm, so good. So he said, okay. I went in October and brought a team, and 138 of his leaders came together. Now, this is a church of about 3,000 people. Uh, and so did the training, they set up a missions advancement team, and we show them how to do that, which is your, your missions team, your, you know, Dale and Margaret and, and that whole team that are connected. Uh, we, set, we helped them set that up, and then they decided they were going to do a missions conference. And out of that missions conference, the first conference in faith, promise, giving, and in and, and cash... Tanzanian shillings they gave a million shillings $50,000 Wow! Mm. Wow. the first year the next year they did it and it was $100,000 they looked to send somebody from their church to a foreign nation and they didn't have anybody trained and ready so they went to their organization and there was a a man and his wife and three children, they helped send them and fully support them in a foreign country. Wow. Okay. The next year it was 200,000 shillings. And we teach them about faith promise giving. And I'm sure that you guys know about faith promise giving. Sure. Well, this young man, his name's Emmanuel. He's a part of the missions advancement team from the beginning. He was he was graduated from the university as a uh, a person that is in the tourism industry in Tanzania. You know the safaris and that whatever. Well, there was a person from America, a lady, that was coming and and contacted the company he worked for. And said, "I want to go on a five-day safari, but I need for a person that's a man of integrity that I can feel safe with uh, out in the in uh, on the safari." And so his boss came to him and said, "Would you be willing to do this?" And he said, "Oh, I don't know, Dan. I, you know, uh, I, I'd have to talk to my wife about this and pray about it." And he said, "Well, go do that." And uh, so after about a week, he came back to the guy, and he said, my wife and I agree, we will do, I will do that. And so she comes in, they pick her up at the airport, they go on the safari. While on the way back out of the safari, she begins to talk to him about his parents, and uh, she says to him, I want to go visit your parents. And he says, uh, our Mileage is calculated and and timed on the our vehicles. So we can't vary off of what we're we're supposed to be at point A to point B to point C and so on. And she says, Well, whatever we were going to do today, you take that off, and I want to go see your parents and to make up for that distance. So he takes her see the parents and she brags on him what he's done and what a man of integrity he is and whatever and she gets a suitcase out and presents it to his parents. Then they get back and he drops her off at the hotel. Now, he had made a faith promise of $500. Mm -hmm. As God brings it in supernaturally, I am going to my wife and I are committing to $500 for faith, promise, giving for our missions, endeavors. So they get back to the hotel. She says, wait here. She goes up to her room. She comes down and hands him $1,000. Hmm. Wow. Well, the only thing he can think about, first of all, he says, this is way too much money. You know, I appreciate but no, that you this you have, you have blessed you blessed my my parents this is way too, but and she insisted he take that money, so he took it, and he went to the church. And gave his faith promise of five hundred dollars. He comes back the next day to pick her up, take her to the airport. He looks at her, she her demeanor is kind of looking like real sad. And are you okay? And she says, no, the, uh, the Lord just really dealt with me all night. I didn't give you enough money. <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> she gave him another $500. Wow. Goodness. Well, it gets better. His next client on Safari was a man from upstate uh, in New York, in, in the New York area. He uh, owned a company that rebuilds merchant ships container ships every 20 years they have to be gone through so they're driving him safari and so the man begins to talk to him about what he does and uh, so on and he said you know I've been praying and I really feel like I need to open an office here in Arusha and I'm thinking that I want to hire you as the general manager (laughs) And, and he said now wait a minute uh, I don't know anything about engineering. I don't know anything about ships. He said, well, you went to the university to learn how to be a tour guide. Don't you think you can go to the university and, and, and become an engineer? And I will pay for your education. Wow. And he is now the general manager and has 50 employees at, in that office. Wow. wow, Simply because he committed, I believe, to a faith promise and watched what God did. Now, listen to this. I was just there uh, <coughs> in November doing their missions conference. They had just got back. They were praying over the villages that didn't have a gospel message in it and this village far away from the church not only didn't have a gospel message but it had a lot of children and no school so they felt like they needed to build a school so they went to the village fathers who were all Muslim and said we want to come and build a school for your children and he says the, the leaders of the village said, well, why would you want to do that? Well, because we love you and we see you have children and they need an education. And so they built a two-room schoolhouse and a teacher's office and the regional government official who was Muslim comes and visits and asks the, the leaders of the village, did these people ask you for anything? Not a thing. Well, did they say why they wanted to do this? Because they care for our village, they said. He said, Did have you offered to do anything for them? They said, no. He said, well, you need to listen to what they've got to say. Wow. They set up a tent, preached the gospel, and 70 Muslims came to Christ. Wow. And they're now Building a church in that village. Wow, that's crazy.
0: Let me ask you something. You know, you were telling me the stories. So, without getting the nuts and bolts of your program, what what's so different about what y'all are teaching, and then what these the leaders that were already there that were trying to uh, teach you know their leaders about missions? They
1: were they were uh, uh, <coughs> each of these. Organizations has, has Bible schools, but they have limited resources, uh, and they teach the basics of missions. Uh, what what our course does, we get into 10 facts that every pastor needs to know, Okay. 10 things that every pastor needs to know. We talk about envisioning the core, gathering a group of people around you that have an art, for not only the ministry you're doing, but the ministry uh, in internationally, outside the four walls of that, that church and that community. And we call that Envision the Core. And we have four areas that we deal specifically with. And we also have a training called Transformational Ministry Training. The first day of a four-day conference that's done because we find out that even pastors have the mentality, the majority of pastors in Africa have this mentality, we can't do it, our people can't do it, you're going to have to help us, it's got to come from the West. And transformational ministry training deals with that poverty mentality, and we break it the very first day. Wow, Mm -hmm. yeah. I think you see a lot of that going
0: on in church in general, that we come from this... You know, oh, you know, we don't have a lot of money. We can't do a lot of things, and yeah. so we we, we automatically uh, don't allow God to do His things because that's the mindset that we have. You know, instead of saying, "Okay, God, I don't know how you're gonna do it, but we know you are gonna do it." Instead, we're like, "Oh, well, just not gonna be able to do that because we ain't got the money." You know, uh, I got the privilege of preaching on our uh, uh, on uh, missions this year. And uh, I remember get up there and challenging, the, <clears throat> excuse me, challenging the church to double their missions giving, you know? And then it sounded so good from the the pulpit, but then I was just like, oh man, now I have to write yeah, that. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> you know? uh-huh. and, uh, but you know, it, you, and we have, uh, we have a small business that like me and my wife own. Ever since that we wrote that first, that we doubled our, our missions giving, our, our uh, business has just exploded, you know? And that's why I just tell people, man, like... You you can't outgive God, you know. That's you right. You can't outgive God. Um, we you know we hear the Bible, so you know every knee shall bow, every tongue can confess. Um, t- tell the people the difference that we're making in the in the missions field right now. You know, a lot of people just we write the checks, but we don't get to see the fruit of the labor. You know, um, are, are we are we reaching
1: those those un- unreached uh, tribes and things? Yes, absolutely. In fact. I'm working with a pastor in Uganda that he's took it on. Uh, He said, how can we believe God for revival in Uganda when we have people in our nation that are starving? And he's raised uh, millions of dollars and carrying tractor trailers The gospel. You got to feed the gospel, mm-hmm. and what I mean by that is, when people are starving to death, how are you going to share the love of Jesus with them without trying to feed them? Right. That's good. And so I, I'm, I'm connecting with a lot of, of of I don't want to see how would I put this pastors that have a vision for Africa. To raise them up and send them to multiple nations. In Tanzania alone, this one particular denomination said with, with, within the next ten years, with go to nations help and the training that we're doing, they're going to put two hundred families in a hundred nations, supported by Tanzanian wow. finances. Wow, it's amazing. So this is bigger than uh, it's not about me. It's not about Jim Oxendine. It's not about go to nations. It's about God's putting His hand on what's being said and done, and the 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 African church is coming alive to a revelation that has been there all along, but it's not been. Delivered to them to where they could understand it and take hold of it, right. and now they're taking hold of it.
0: So, where's the where are the finances coming from? Because we know, I mean, you know, we hear, you know, and of course our commercials and everything here in the states that how poor the country is and those type of things. So, where are the finances coming from? You'd be amazed.
1: Uh, God, the the African people are. They, they are not only amazingly resilient they are very intelligent I mean very intelligent and they're finding ways to develop products and create jobs and, and they're because they're in the kingdom God's given them witty inventions and new ideas and it is breaking forth and blessing their country I met uh, just last July with a former ambassador to the U.N. from Tanzania, the former uh, Secretary uh, of State for Tanzania, and the former ambassador to the U.S., and they were sitting down talking to us and telling us uh, when the gospel is released, into a village, it creates an atmosphere for not only people to be respond to the gospel, but to be blessed financially. Mm. And that's what's happening. Wow. Besides
0: finances, what is the biggest roadblocks that you see going into some of these, you
1: know, foreign countries? We don't have enough young men like you uh, Mm. saying they're willing to go. Yeah. You know, I was a little encouraged by looking around the sanctuary
0: today or this week. You know, we're having our our, uh, convocation. Uh, There's a lot more young people than I've seen in many years. Yes. Yeah. Definitely.
1: But we definitely got to get more laborers out there. Matter of fact, I asked your brother. I said, you willing to go be a missionary? Yeah. What did he tell you? (laughs) He, he wouldn't answer. Yeah, he finally <laughs> Yeah, it was hard enough to get him to sing a solo. <laughs> it was it was so uh, it was funny. I took you by the hand, and I said, You ready to be a missionary?
0: <laughs>
1: it was, and his girlfriend took off.
0: Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know, it, it's it's difficult especially when you come from a place that from the United States, it's full of overflow. Yeah. You know, and then you ask these young people that grew up on the Xbox and you know eighty-inch mm-hmm. TVs and air conditioners to say, "Hey, mm-hmm. can we take you and drop you off in the middle of nowhere and share Jesus?" You know, oh, yeah. uh, it, it's tough because you really have to be called to give up overflow
1: to go uh, to do something like that. Listen, I uh, my first mission trip in nineteen ninety when I got back the plane, walked down, got my, down on my hands and knees on the tarmac and kissed the tarmac and said, God, this is not for me. I'll be one of those two, uh, uh, people that's right to check. I'll write yeah. the check. The leader of the team told my pastor at that time, said, you don't have to worry about Jim being a being a missionary. <laughs> they didn't know what God knew, and I didn't uh-huh. know what God knew. And you know, you remember the uh, the pastor that said uh, he wouldn't come to Houston. There's just no way the Lord mm-hmm. would send me anywhere but Houston. Pastor Don Norton. Yeah, well, well, when I found out that God was really challenging my wife and I's heart to become a missionary, I was praying for a beach ministry in Barbados. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. I got sent to Russia. Wow. Mm-hmm even though they some uh we made our first trip to russia in 92 and uh we <laughs> listen guys I, I was in a team meeting in this uh what they call the youth palace was where we were staying we had to take our clothes out of the suitcase and roll them up it was october and stick them under the window and we only had hot water about one hour every day uh to take a shower or anything, and so man, I was up to here with a, a rush no way, man, you know. <laughs> and they were fish head soup and uh, oh yeah, uh-huh. uh, beef tongue and, and so I'm standing there in this group and and this young, this man uh, with the ministry called Invading the Darkness, Paul Whitley, we had uh, <clears throat> went with him. And he asked me to put together a team, and we had maybe about 12 people. So he, we're going to have a team meeting. We're all standing around there, okay? And he goes around, and he goes, I smell fish. I smell fish. I mean, he's going on a whole round thing. Man, I'm smelling fish. I'm smelling fish. He gets to me. he said, hello, Jonah. <laughs> I said, whoa. I mean, he had me so paranoid I wouldn't even go near Water for a while, because <laughs> <laughs> uh, I did not want to go to Russia. Yeah, uh, I can tolerate some cold weather, but the cold that you get there. But I'm telling you, it was the greatest experience I've ever, ever, known. Wow, wow. And I moved back. November of 2018 I and right before I came here within two days I had three encounters of Russians warning me to come wow invitations one of them Siberia to mm. my mm. cold yeah oh yeah
0: <laughs> how long did you uh did you stay in Russia for
1: well we started doing ministry there in 92 and so we started living there um oh let's see in 98 and we left 2006
0: wow. so is 92 when you started doing missionary work no
1: 1990 goodness gracious cuz i
0: was born in 94 <laughs> so you've been doing it yeah <laughs> not today i guess
1: well i've been to uh, i've been to guatemala 16 times mm-hmm. and my first trip to Guatemala, uh, the Lord, we were in Flores and uh, we went into Belize and then we went on down into northern Guatemala, back in che, the village that I was talking about where I saw the, the little girl healed with deafness and was able to speak and many miracles I saw in that village. But we spent the night there and I went to sleep and I had a, I had a vision. I had a vision of taking a school bus and converting it into a, uh, a mobile home, uh, you know, motor home. And uh, going from village to village and passing out supplies, medicine, what have you. And uh, I really thought, man, that's exactly what God's going to have for us to do is Guatemala's going to be the place that we're now going to move from America to Guatemala. But I came down and there was a man with a second grade education that had never been on an airplane until that time. He could stand on a rock sat down with him and three or four other guys that was on that team, and I shared what the Lord had showed me. You know who it was for? It was for him. Mm. He came back from there, didn't even go home, went and found a guy he knew that had some used buses, and told the man, he said, I don't know where I'm going to get the money, but I'm going to buy this bus from you, if you'll hold it for me till Tuesday. On Monday night, a man drove up into his yard, walked up and handed him the cash, and said, The Lord told me to bring you this money to buy a bus. <laughs> oh. Wow. And so, for years, the church that we were a part of, every summer, we would take teams in and out of Belize and Guatemala. And, uh, then we went to Russia and started going to Russia in 92 93 listen in 1992 there was a great outpouring in Russia I mean you could stand on the street and pass out a track and people would read that track and want to talk to you how to get saved if you if they mistakenly took two tracks, they would hand one back to you and, and keep the other one. And they would, I mean, the heart and the conviction was that a, a guy got saved reading uh, Robinson Crusoe. Yep. Book, yeah. Gave his heart to the Lord reading that book and started a church. He had 2,500 young people in this church. Wow. wow. And so we're over there in 92 first ministry and so 92 is, is that Soviet Union at that time or? It, no it was it uh, Soviet Union collapsed in 86 86 okay yeah. okay um, and so <laughs> I'm in a room he asked uh, Paul Whitley had asked us to uh, do some training to give them some biblical basis for what they Uh, everything they needed. So here I am with 44 Russians with an interpreter talking to them about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Wow! Hmm. I said, how many of you have been saved five years? Nobody raised their hand. I said, how many of you have been saved four years? Nobody raised their hand. I said, how many of you have been saved three years? Maybe two out of the 40. I said, how many of you have been saved a year or less? Everybody else raised their hand. Wow. And I said, okay, I'm talking to you about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. How many of you would like to have the baptism of the Holy Spirit? And I went through and did the training and talked to them mm-hmm. about it and everything, and everybody raised their hand. So I just got right in the middle of them, and I said, now just raise your hands and start telling the Lord how much you love him and watch what happens in your language, and your language is going to change. And sure enough, it was like a wind blew in that place. And I looked at the interpreter, and I said, what are they saying? He said, I don't know, but they're not speaking Russian. Wow. And it was like an upper room experience. God really was gripping my heart. Seeing Even after seeing that. Wow. So the Lord, you know, like Pastor Mike was saying today, <laughs> said, don't kick that uh-huh. sleeping dog. Uh-huh. That. I, I didn't want nobody kicking this sleeping dog, man. I'm My wife, since 1987, people ask her, what do you think you're called to do? And she said, I believe we're called to rush it. And I said, you're crazy. <laughs> What what is the biggest difference
0: uh, in in, uh, Russian missionaries in in the
1: 90s to now? Well, when the gospel came, prosperity came. And prosperity outran the gospel. Mm.
0: (laughs) Sounds like America. Yeah, I was going to say.
1: See, all, all the churches that were planted, and there were 5,000 of them planted. I mean, Go-To Nations uh, started the above uh, first above-ground Bible school in the former Soviet Union in 1991 and graduated 400 students out of that Bible school and sent them all to villages or cities of a million plus people to wow. start a church. Wow. And American churches came alongside and started helping for a season, and then uh, all of a sudden, these pastors that were raised up, they if if America's doing it then we want to do it. And it wasn't about going to the nations. It was about, you know, how big can my ministry be? Mm. And so in 2003, Dr. Jerry Williamson came. He did, we called in 91 pastors from across Russia. And uh, he taught on, it's the responsibility of every believer to be a part of the Great Commission. And uh, it's all of our responsibilities, not just the pastors, not the missionaries. It's everybody's responsibility. And God began to turn the focus after, from 2003 until 2009. uh, We trained over 2,100 leaders, and uh, they planted close to 240 churches. And 127,000 people gave their heart to Christ. Wow. How many how many countries is go to nations serving
0: in? Right at a hundred wow. nations mm-hmm. that we have projects going on. Yeah. Uh, without getting into like any like deep political stuff, what is your opinion on the your Ukraine Russia's war going
1: on? Listen, um God has to do something in in, in both of those countries. Uh, I truly believe that this is really an act of the enemy to put brother against brother. And uh, because there's a lot of Ukrainians that have uh, uh, brothers and sisters that are in Russia, and and it's very sad. And so my heart is is that I'm praying for both of these countries and both of their presidents. I'm praying that God will intervene and bring and I pray for President Putin, mm-hmm. and I pray for the other president, because it's only going to be God that that brings this peace. Yeah,
0: yeah, I I feel the same way. That's kind of in my heart that I was uh, sharing with another brother. That you know, we get we get fed what you know, even our government wants us to hear. You know, mm-hmm. and they and they've already picked sides, and they've already done these these things. And yes. and at the end of the day, and this is a. a Battle that's unseen, you know, just like the Bible talks about. We're not, we're not fighting a physical battle here. The enemy's yeah. in, in the midst of all this stuff, and God's going to have to uh, intervene uh, to, to for it to come Absolutely. out. Absolutely. So, yeah. <clears throat> what is what is the, the the big project that you guys are working on at Go To
1: Nations right now that you might want to share with people? Well, I would like people to pray because we're uh, Dr. Jerry and I and two other gentlemen. Last July, with forty-one leaders that represent fifty-two thousand and two hundred and eighty churches, and they all these leaders want this training in those fifty-two thousand two hundred plus churches, and so that is the that is. Uh, there's a lot of other things that that Go To Nations is is involved in, but the one that I'm Directly connected to that is the uh, that's before me, and that's the one that I can really speak to. Is the one that uh, that I'm so involved in. Right, mm-hmm. um, that's
0: good. But now I'm gonna I'm gonna change the, the conversation just a little bit, and because um, before we started recording, you kind of gave me the the rundown on your life, and um, you talked about serving in the Vietnam War, and then coming back a crazy time I wasn't alive but uh, you know some of the things I've read and seen how you know Americans treated their soldiers and a lot of things that you guys came back with um, was terrible right and then and we're still seeing some of that with our soldiers today and some of the issues that they're they're coming uh, coming back with um, how, how can we and maybe some of the things that you went through and then how can we as um, Americans besides pray, I know that's one of the things that we do, but how do we do a better job welcome our soldiers back and giving them the things that they need to, to live a better life?
1: Well, a lot of the soldiers, including myself, you know, you come back with, with hidden wounds that only is that, number one, do you know Jesus? Because Jesus, just like uh, he was talking about, uh, Pastor Hal was talking uh, last night, a peacemaker. Uh, One of the things that, the advantage that I had more than, uh, well, I can't say more than anybody else, but one of the advantages I had, I had a praying mom, He's been uh, all, my dad and four of his brothers all were in World war, too. Hmm. So my dad knew exactly some of the things that I had faced, and he was more So the church didn't abandon me. Mm, that's so good, yeah. The church didn't abandon me. They, they said, we recognize, we recognize, uh, you have a call on your life, and we know that you know things that happened. We don't know what happened, but we know that God knows, and we're going to love you. Right. And yeah. that's what turned life around think that's the key
0: right there you know you say well, we have to love and you know, no matter what these soldiers done you know they're they're dropped off in a place and they're doing what they're told you know and it, yeah. a lot of times it's not it's not their issue it's an it's a issue that comes in much higher than them and, and and we have to find a place um in america where we love each other uh more than we love the color of our skin that we love the money that we make than we love what side of Issue right now in America that we can our love only goes so far um, before we look at other things that stop it you know and uh, and I think that the church needs to be on the front of that and the, and the church sometimes is behind the curve on a lot of those things and the, the church really needs to stand up and, and be on the front of showing the rest of the world how to love yes definitely. I agree you know there's a um, the, that um do you remember the site that was uh, that we were talking about that got the hat and yeah I don't remember what it was called though there's just there there's a um, a non-profit that had a hundred million dollar budget to reintroduce Jesus back into this culture and basically not the Jesus that you know that the um, that the world says that hates you and because you're gay or because you're this or because of this that he hates you no no matter who you are or what you look like, he loved you. And the, the, to reintroduce the Jesus of the Bible instead of what culture has made Jesus. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's where we need to get back to. And I think that that right there will heal a lot of things that are going on, not just in America, but all over the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, yes. Mm-hmm. For sure. Well, Jim, uh, leave us with something, um, uh, maybe something just on your heart that you've been, you know, the Lord's been dealing with you. Uh, with or something that you uh, think that uh, so is valued to the people listening.
1: I have said for a long time, and uh, the Lord just really dropped this into my heart. Is is that it doesn't make any difference who we are. We're all concerned about our purpose, but I think the Lord is more concerned about the process than He is our purpose. He already knows what our purpose is, and he already knows our destiny. But he's really concerned about the process that we go through to get to where he wants us to be. And, uh, for example, you know, David killed a... Uh, he was a worshiper before he killed a bear and a lion. Mm. He, he had intimacy with the Lord before he ever cross those uh, paths of what he had to do with. But before he ever made king, you know, and I wanted to say this yesterday, but I just didn't have time to get into it. One of the things that that really struck my heart is, is that I don't think David's greatest battle was killing Goliath. I think his greatest battle was was when Saul heard those women in the in Jerusalem singing Saul has killed my killed his thousands and David has killed his ten thousands. And for a decade David had to run for his life and was rejected over and over and over and over. And so what was his response in each time he was rejected? If you read Samuel, you'll find out what his response was. I mean, he, for example, he protected this uh, village in Israel, and then he asked the Lord, will they turn me over to Saul, or will they protect me? Lord, tell me what to do. He said, no, they're going to turn you over. So he's rejected by his brother. Then he he gathers a bunch of four hundred men that were in debt, ruthless, rebellious, and they're following him. And the Philistines gave him a, a, a city to live in. You you know, um, I can't even remember the name of. but uh, the Philistines go to fight Israel and they want one of the kings of the Philistines wants David to go because he is a, he is a man of war and the princes of the Philistines said no way because what he'll do he'll turn on us uh, to get in favor with Saul. So they reject him. He goes back to his village. Ziglag is the name of the village. And it's burnt to the ground. His wife, his children, and all of those 400 men that are with him, everything they possessed was taken. And then those men that for a decade he had trained and built relationship with and did everything he could to help them and for them to become the warriors that they were. Four of those men became giant killers. So he invested a lot into their lives. When they saw that everything they had was gone, they were gonna stone him, they were gonna kill him. And you know what David did? Instead of trying to take the focus away From the circumstance, the Bible says he strengthened himself in the Lord. So David's character was, he turned and said, we're going to recapture everything. Let's go. And they did. They got everything, everything back. So David's great. By the way, that battle, that the Philistines refused to let him go is the same battle that Saul and Jonathan were killed Mm. in. Mm. Mm.
0: So David learned that way before his own calling, you know, right when he first had that
1: relationship with Jesus. That that intimate relationship before all all the rest. Listen, at 13 years of age, Samuel anointed him to be the next king because Saul had already rejected uh, God, you know, God had already rejected Saul. Yeah. Yep. That's good. There was there
0: was there was a, a lot of things that had to happen um, from the time that he was called to the time that he possessed the kingship. That's yeah. right. So
1: God's all about character. Yeah. Developing our character. Yeah. And he he Acts thirteen twenty two says the latter part of it says God says. I saw David and he was a man after my own heart yeah that's good <laughs> mm-hmm. so if
0: somebody's not already active in uh, in a in a um, missions program uh, at their church uh, how do they get involved with go to nations
1: contact go uh, go online to uh, go to nations and you can look up they'll give you a a menu that you can look and a way to contact the office. And and we have uh, a couple of times a year they have training uh, for prospective missionaries. Shows you, uh, when I went through it, it was field preparation candidate and orientation class. Now it's MPO, missionary preparation and orientation. And it's about two weeks. And uh, Get a get a recommendation from your pastor, and start working toward what God speaks in your heart. So this is a good opportunity if you have some
0: young people in your church that maybe had just graduated high school and they don't really know what they're doing. They feel called Mm. to the ministry, and maybe even feel called to the missions to to get them sent down to Florida, in Florida, right? Right. Jacksonville, Jacksonville, Florida. Get them sent down there. Let them go through a two week course. They, they train for, uh, you know, what it, what it is to be on the mission field, but also how to how to raise money, what, what it's going to take, and all these different uh, aspects of being a missionary. And then they can really make a decision then, okay, it's not just as easy as like, oh, man, we're going. We're going to yeah. Africa. We're going to have a great time. Well, there's there's a lot of things you have to do to be able to
1: sustain yourself while you're there. That's mm-hmm. exactly right. And we have a training program that's 10 weeks after, if uh, you make it through the two weeks, because you're evaluated, your personalities is evaluated, the recommendations that you come with you are evaluated, uh, the they personality tests that they give you to see where your strengths and weaknesses are, and uh, you decide that this is something you want to do, then they'll sign you up to show you how to raise funds and uh, you'll raise a certain amount of funds. They'll send you 10 weeks into Honduras where they have a team uh, that, uh, if you're going to Central and South America or some of those, uh, or even Mexico, uh, they put you in that type of environment, and you, you have daily classes, and you do ministry, practical ministry, and what have you, and how you operate and function within the team, and, and they... They teach you uh, not only cross-cultural ministry, but th- they teach you uh, conflict resolution. That's very there good. you go.
0: All right, last question. How do you uh, stay as fit as you are by uh, not eating some of these dangerous foods in, in these different countries? <laughs>
1: <laughs> I take two cans of Spam and vine a sausage. With
0: because last time the pastor went uh, to Africa with you, he came back sick as a dog and he yeah. just
1: ate the wrong stuff. So you just got to be careful what you got through yeah. on, the, on the field. Uh, <clears throat> I told him don't eat that stuff. <laughs> <laughs> well, Jim, I appreciate
0: you stopping by. I know that you had to rearrange some stuff for, uh, for to be here today, but I appreciate I appreciate everything that you guys do on the mission field and everything that y'all do to invest on the, on the next generation uh, to make a difference because we can't leave this we can't leave this to you you know your older guys that we have to really reach generation after generation
1: my greatest prayer right now and if you're listening wherever you're at I'm believing God for young men and women to come alongside us and watch what we do participate in what we do so that God will give you an opportunity serve Him in the nations. That's my cry. That God will send men, young men that work with me and go with me and do what I do so that one day I can turn this over to them. Yeah, that's yeah. awesome. All right. go. I'm for all spending. about working myself out of a job. <laughs> yeah, that's the right. way to do See it. See you next time. And we love you.